welcome to Central Valley Physicians Podcast. My name is Nicole Butler, and I'm with Fresno Madera Medical Society. And today we have Dr. James Lee, vascular surgeon here in Fresno. And we're going to talk about pad disease and why it's so prominent here in the Central Valley. But first, welcome, doctor. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, can you give us a little bit of background and um, a little bit of information about you before we start? Sure. Uh, I am a fellowship-trained vascular surgeon. Uh, and uh, for those of us, uh, the audience that, that may not know exactly what a vascular surgeon is, is uh, I typically tell my patients that uh, um, very similar to a, a plumber. So <laughs> I make sure that, that things flow through the pipes, uh, and the pipes that, uh, that, I, that I deal with is, uh, are called arteries and veins. And through those arteries and veins, uh, the blood has to flow through all the different parts of the body. And so in a nutshell, uh, I make sure that the... Uh, the disease which affects uh, those uh, the circular system uh, that could impede the blood flow to different parts of the body, and uh, I, I evaluate it and and uh, I make sure that, that things flow. So I mean, I think too when I hear vascular, I always think heart, but it's not necessarily just the heart. It's through you know all extremities of your body, wherever a vein or artery may flow to. Correct. That is correct. The uh, the vascular vascular disease then could be defined as a disease that affects the vascular system. And the vascular system in our body is composed of three parts. The heart, the artery, and the veins. And it's a network of arteries and network of veins. So the heart pumps the blood. That's the, that's the job of the heart. And the arteries are connected directly to the heart. And the arteries actually provide the blood, deliver the blood to the different parts of the body. And after tissues and muscles or whatever parts of the body has had a chance to extract the oxygen and nutrients from the blood, then the blood is taken back to the heart, delivered back to the heart through the veins. And that simply cycles over and over and over again. So uh, the vascular uh, surgeon deals with any uh, disease that affects the flow of blood within the arteries and veins. The heart is separate. Uh, those, the, any disease that affects the heart uh, would be typically uh, evaluated and treated by the, what's the, the referred to as cardiothoracic or cardiac surgeons. Okay, okay, great. So today we're going to talk about PAD disease. Can you give us a, a little bit of explanation of what PAD is? Yes. Uh, PAD, are, that is short for peripheral arterial disease, and that is, PAD is a part of uh, the disease process in the vascular system. And the peripheral arterial, the main uh, etiology of peripheral arterial disease is a process known as atherosclerosis. And what that atherosclerosis is a process by which uh, there's a buildup of plaque within the, within the walls of the arteries. And gradually over time, uh, the plaques will continue to grow. And if it grows uh, uh, enough, uh, it can cause uh, uh, certainly narrowing of the arteries and sometimes even complete blockage. And uh, depending upon uh, the parts of the body uh, that is affected, you can have different consequences. So uh, the, the plaque that is formed by is, is usually um, uh, attributed to foods that we eat, uh, and that's unfortunate because uh, <laughs> it's bacon and eggs. It's the good stuff. <laughs> it's the good stuff. Uh, I'm not sure why God couldn't have high uh, cholesterol level in, in lettuce, but uh, as, as it as it, they may, it may be, um, so that's the process that's involved in causing the blockages of the arteries. 
So the, the plaque and the buildup is, is mainly caused by foods that we eat, but does it build up in, in are there different people? Like, for instance, it, would it build up in the same, in my, in my system as it would in, in somebody else's? Or is there, you know, somebody at risk from a genetic standpoint? Or how does, it, how does one get it? Sure. Uh, if you look at the, the population of people that, are di- that will have been diagnosed and treated for peripheral arterial disease, there are certainly risk factors that's associated with peripheral arterial disease. And uh, those uh, people will have an increased uh, risk for developing peripheral arterial disease. One is if you are a smoker. Two, uh, if you have a uh, rather sedentary lifestyle without being active. Uh, obesity is a risk factor. Uh, other disease uh, that are associated uh, with peripheral arterial disease are such as people with high blood pressure, people with coronary artery disease are uh, uh, blockages of the heart uh, that's uh, uh, of the arteries that supply the blood to the heart, uh, people with uh, end-stage renal disease or kidney failure. Uh, so there are certain a- absolutely uh, uh, different risk factors uh, uh, that contribute your chance of having a peripheral arterial disease. Okay. Now, do you, are you seeing more of this disease here in the valley than than other places, or are we just that unhealthy here, I guess is the question. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I think, uh, as I had indicated, some of the risk factors that's uh, uh, associated with development of our uh, peripheral arterial disease is, is diabetes, high blood pressure, kidney failures. And here in the, in the Central Valley, uh, I, I think actually uh, there was a Fresno B uh, article in June of 2012 uh, that had looked into this uh, situation uh, exactly and uh, uh, had indicated that Fresno has a, a 0.46 per 1,000 population rate of amputation, which is 50% higher than other areas of California. And uh, I think uh, that has a lot, it's a multi-factor, uh, multifactorial of why, the, uh, why, there is, why there is such high amputation rate here in Fresno. But one of them certainly is is diet, uh, and the other factor, I think, main factor that uh, c- uh, can be contributed is the socioeconomic status. Uh, I think the lower the socioeconomic status, uh, the the, uh, the educational level of, of the, uh, the the uh, of the people are are, uh, are low. Uh, their eating healthy uh, eating habits are not so good. So uh, those uh, d- the different factors uh, are involved uh, in in increasing the prevalence of peripheral arterial disease and then subsequently uh, uh, potential for an amputation because of that. Okay. So when you say when somebody has PAD disease and it's a narrowing of the arteries caused by this plaque formation, is there ways to reverse it or to um, minimize the buildup before you get to a point of amputation? Sure. If the risk factors uh, that we just had discussed uh, are in fact contributing to uh, a patient having peripheral arterial disease, then what you can do is minimize those risk factors. So certainly if you're a smoker, quit smoking. Right. I know it's hard, but I, I, I tell my patients, it's your body, it's yeah. not my, it's your legs. So you basically have two options. You gotta either quit smoking or, and we might have to, to, to look at an amputation. So the options are simply very black, either mm-hmm. you smoke or, or a risk amputation. Uh, 
you can make sure that if you have high blood pressure, follow up with your primary care physicians and uh, control the, high, uh, the blood pressure. Uh, if you're a diabetic, uh, make sure that you're on appropriate medications to control uh, the glucose level. Uh, and if you have uh, what's called hyperlipidemia, which is also a significant risk factor in patients uh, with PAD, is which refers to a high uh, level of uh, cholesterol or lipids in your body. And uh, if uh, you are diagnosed with that, then you should be placed on an appropriate medication referred to as statins. I think that's maybe a fairly common uh, medication, and patients out there may, may be very familiar with that. Uh, but that's a, that's a very important medication because statin itself uh, is probably one of the very few medications that will actually halt the process of plaque buildup or atherosclerosis. Okay. So that's a very important medication. But uh, it will not reverse it. In other words, if you do have plaques, certainly there's uh, no medications that's currently available that will uh, make that plaque go away. But certainly if you take the statins and, and do all the risk modifications, uh, then certainly you can halt the process or certainly slow it down. So are you, is this a, a disease that an older population is getting over the course of the years? Or it just, if you're abusing your body, it, you're going to get it regardless of how, whatever your age is? Uh, it is much more prevalent uh, in in, in the elderly population. Okay. Uh, age, age, again, is a significant risk factor in developing a peripheral arterial disease. Predominantly, most of my patients that I see uh, and, and treat are patients, uh, 60, 70, 80 year old patients. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in fact, uh, uh, the statistics would indicate approximately anywhere from 10 to 20 percent of people older than 60 to 65 years old will have diagnosis of peripheral arterial disease. So what that means is if you go to River Park and uh, gather up everyone uh, older than 60 years old and you get, happen to gather up uh, 100 uh, people, mm -hmm. uh, anywhere from 10 to 20 of those uh, uh, people will have diagnosis of peripheral arterial disease. So age is definitely a risk factor okay. uh, in, in developing peripheral arterial disease. Wow, it's kind of scary. I guess you, you, you can't. Now, that actually brings up another question, though. Are you able to, to clear out some of that plaque and build up, or is it, you know, these are your only veins and arteries you're getting, you better take care of them type scenario? Well, you, you, you certainly, and I hope that this podcast will actually uh, benefit the people out there in, in being more in, better informed of what peripheral arterial disease is. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it is my hope that at the end of, the, uh, uh, of our podcast here that uh, uh, the, the patients and the people, are, are, are the, the listeners are better informed, and with that information, uh, they can take care of themselves better. And uh, it is also my hope that uh, they can also share the information that they have learned today with, uh, with their friends, with their family, and actually t take a, be an active participant uh, in, in fighting this uh, disease. So uh, to getting back to your uh, question, uh, if I see a patient for any symptoms that's related to peripheral arterial disease and in the course of evaluation happen to find that there are blockages in the, in the arteries, I tell the patients that s simply because there are blockages in the arteries does not mean that we uh, uh, have to immediately uh, go to treatment. In other words, removing those blockages or opening those arteries. Uh, there has to be a very specific indication uh, of the intervention. What am I trying to change? Uh, and depending upon where the blockages are in the body, it can affect the patient in, in different ways, depending upon how severe those blockages are. Uh, like I said, just because there's a blockage doesn't mean that the patient's in, in a critical danger 
uh, or that you have to, to immediately uh, jump to intervention. So if you have a blockages of uh, the arteries that supply the blood to the heart, you're at risk for having a heart attack or a myocardial infection. If the blockages to the arteries of the brain are affected, and if the blockage is severe enough, uh, then you're at risk for having a stroke. Peripheral arterial disease is specifically blockages of the artery that supplied the blood to the legs. So for those uh, group of patients, uh, they, uh, the symptoms can range anywhere from being asymptomatic. In other words, you can still have peripheral arterial disease and not even know that you have peripheral arterial disease. There's no symptoms. Uh, Patients can also experience what's called claudication. That's uh, when they're walking, they will develop some cramps or pain in their legs or thighs because of the blockages in the, in the arteries. Uh, so when you're walking, your muscles are, are working, uh, and if the blood is not able to get to the muscles because of the blockages, then the body sends a signal to the brain saying, in, in the form of pain, says, that, you know, I'm not getting enough blood for me to continue to walk, and so you have to stop. So that's a group of patients that we might intervene on. Uh, patients, if the blockage is, is more severe and uh, you happen to develop some ulcers or infections of the foot that's not healing because of the lack of blood flow, and this is especially prevalent in, uh, in patients with diabetes, that's a group of patients that uh, I would intervene on or, 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 or uh, uh, talk about uh, treatment. So. Uh, for very specific patients that have blockages, if they have specific clinical indications, uh, then there are uh, treatments uh, that's available uh, to take care of those blockages. So you mentioned some symptoms that people may have. What, and, you know, if they have some of these risk factors, if they're smokers, they have poor, um, you know, they're not exercising, they have a poor diet, they're obese, and they have these symptoms, what should they do? If, if you have those symptoms, I think uh, the, probably the most important thing is, uh, is to go to your physician, uh, your primary care physician. Uh, there are other specialists that's uh, also uh, involved in taking care of specifically peripheral arterial uh, disease patients, um, podiatrists, uh, primary care physicians, your family, doctor and, and say, I'm having these symptoms, uh, could this be peripheral arterial disease? And uh, uh, w with the appropriate history, uh, then the physician would obviously have to examine the patient, and uh, there are some other uh, uh, diagnostic tools that we have mm -hmm. that we can uh, use to uh, identify and diagnose and see if you, indeed you have peripheral arterial disease. Okay, so once somebody has made that has been diagnosed with PAD and they have to, they've made some lifestyle changes as far as, you know, they stop smoking, they improve their diet, they start to lose weight, but they're still having these issues um, with the disease. What type of, you know, like you mentioned earlier, these ulcers, what type of intervention do you have prior to getting to the point of amputation? Sure. Yes. Um, ho hopefully, we, we, the patients can be seen uh, at a point uh, where there isn't too much tissue destruction of uh, infection and gangrene. And in those situations, um, the, there are two revascularization treatment options that's available to open up the blockage and restore the blood flow, uh, let's say specifically for a patient with a specific diabetic foot ulcer. Um, 
One method is referred to as an endovascular intervention. That's where it's a non-invasive procedure, or minimally invasive procedure, where a small catheter is introduced into the artery, contrast is injected, and there are special uh, x-ray machines referred to as fluoroscopy. And in real time, uh, as the contrast is injected, it will mix with the blood and it will outline the arteries, specifically the arteries of the leg. And uh, during the, uh, uh, this procedure is referred to as an arteriogram. And during that process, we can tell exactly where the blockages are, how severe the blockages are. And at that same time, if we can uh, proceed with intervention to open up those blockages. Uh, there are uh, tools that we have available, uh, tiny wires, balloons, stents, uh, devices referred to as an atherectomy device, which actually acts like a roto, uh, roto blade and basically will remove the plaque itself, uh, and hopefully that will uh, help to restore uh, the bl blood flow. So uh, if you are a uh, patient that has uh, peripheral arterial disease and ulcer, uh, recognize that that is part of peripheral arterial disease. Recognize that you need to go see a, a uh, uh, specialist that deal with uh, seeing patients and uh, to proceed with possibly proceed with an endovascular intervention. The specialists that are involved uh, in being able to do that uh, in, the, in the current medical community is uh, interventional radiologists. They're capable of uh, doing arteriograms and endovascular interventions. Uh, the interventional cardiologists will have that capability as well as vascular surgeons. If the endovascular, if that the endovascular intervention will always be the 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 first uh, line of uh, evaluation and treatment for for these patients for the blockages because it's less invasive. Uh, typically, the procedure after having done the procedure, patients are able to go home the same day, and so forth. Uh, if the endovascular intervention is not uh, possible for one reason or another, if the blockage is uh, too severe, if the wires uh, we are not able to get the wire across uh, the blockage uh, that we need to. Uh, for any of uh, reasons, uh, then as a vascular surgeon, we have the capability also evaluating that patient for a possible surgical revascularization. And the uh, surgery would entail uh, uh, opening up the blockages directly with an incision, exposing the artery, uh, and sometimes rerouting the blood and so forth. So uh, two uh, different ways to revascularize or uh, reestablish a blood flow. One is endo referred to as an endovascular intervention, and the other is a surgical revascularization. Okay. Fascinating that, that you're able to do that on something that's got to be very tiny in the body. Yes. You know, I, th I think af when I, uh, uh, my fellowship training was 20 years ago, and uh, at that time, uh, all the patients that we saw for diabetic foot ulcers and peripheral arterial disease, we were having to do, uh, the only options available at that time was surgical revascularization. Mm -hmm. So uh, you would have big incisions and, and the patients would stay in the hospital. And it was it's fairly a stressful uh, operation. It, it is still a very good operation, uh, but with the t current technology in the last 20 years, the technology has come so far so that uh, we were able, uh, the tools that we have now, uh, we can treat these blockages uh, with uh, uh, atherectomy devices, which actually removes the plaque, uh, with uh, balloons, uh, angioplasty balloons that are actually coated with special chemicals uh, that will reduce the chance of that blockage coming back, uh, special stents. And these are all very uh, good for the patients since these are less invasive uh, and uh, certainly less stressful for the patients uh, to go through. 
although you you have these procedures and these um, these interventions that will help with them, bottom line, the best intervention is start leaving, you know, leading a healthier life. Always. Yeah. Always. You know, di- let's talk about diabetics a little bit too, because they, I, I hear more and more about um, diabetics having these types of issues with their, their feet. And is it something, is there anything that they can do special, um, you know, outside, you know, because sometimes they don't, necessarily sure. smoke or they don't have sure. poor diet or or beast they just unfortunately they have diabetes yes is there something that they should be watching for closely or that they should be doing to prevent one of the worst uh consequences of peripheral arterial disease uh, are in patients with diabetes specifically uh referred to as a diabetic foot infection that, that's a specific terminology just for the patients with peripheral arterial disease and diabetes and the reason that the diabetics are so prone to ulcers and infection is when you and I step on a piece of glass, we say, ouch, we look at our feet, we take care of it, clean it, so the infection doesn't have a chance to, 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 to process uh, or, or, or get worse. In a diabetic, uh, they have what's known as peripheral neuropathy, uh, which basically makes uh, their feet insensate, in other words, numb. And a lot of patients, a lot of people don't like pain, but pain is actually good for our body to let us know when there is something wrong. So in a diabetic, they may step on a piece of nail, piece of glass, and not even know it. And uh, that uh, infection will fester for two, three, even weeks. And, uh, and that, that scenario, unfortunately, is not something that's unusual. Uh, we see that quite frequently. So... For a diabetic, uh, my uh, message would be uh, is to check your feet every day. Uh, if you are diabetic, uh, go f- uh, have a, di- uh, a podiatrist take care of your feet, trimming nails and so forth. Um, and, and so, again, the, the best thing that you can do as, as a diabetic is to take a look at your feet, uh, examining your feet every day uh, so that there's no, no evidence. If there is indeed an infection or an ulcer, uh, then uh, you can uh, go in and, and seek uh, evaluation treatment uh, early before it has a chance uh, to get to a point of uh, where uh, very minimal options is, is available. Interesting, you know, that I, I never realized that. So in off topic a little bit, so diabetics' feet are typically numb? Yes. They, they Again, uh, the pr- process is called peripheral neuropathy because of the elevated glucose level mm-hmm. uh, that causes injuries to the peripheral nerves. And uh, that causes your feet to be uh, what, what we refer to as insensate, in other words, numbs. You, you can, a lot of diabetics, you can actually make an incision uh, and they if they have it. an infection. And, and you don't even need anesthesia uh, to do these incision and drainage procedures if they have an infection of the feet because they just simply don't feel it. That's crazy. And uh, like I said, uh, having no pain is, is sometimes is not a yeah. good thing. No, I agree, but yeah, <laughs> fascinating. Are you seeing more patients that are getting to a point of no return? And and if so, is this is this becoming more common because patients aren't um, paying closer attention to their, their health or they're not seeking treatment fast enough? I mean, wh- what point does a patient get to amputation? Uh, yeah, that that's a good question. Um, uh, I see too often uh, patients uh, that have... Uh, allow their infection or ulcers to progress to the point uh, where amputation is the is the only option. The decision to whether uh, we proceed with the amputation um, 
there are multiple factors. The probably the most important factor is is there enough tissue uh, that is viable uh, that after I have done the appropriate intervention to restore the the blockages and restore the blood flow, uh, can I uh, amputate the part of the the foot? Let a toe. Let's say a, a patient comes in with a toe ulceration or a toe gangrene. That a single toe is dead, but the rest of the foot is viable. But obviously there is a gangrene of the toe that has to be amputated. That the toe is essentially dead. So that amputation has uh, has to take place. But the intervention would be so that after the amputation has taken place, that tissue has a chance to heal. So when you're amputating a portion of someone's foot or their foot or their, their leg, what are you seeing at that point? It's just that, you know, the, the tissue's dead, the, the limb or the piece, of, like you mentioned, the toe is dead. Is, is that, are you seeing that more common? And why is that happening? Just because they're not seeking out care? Predominantly, yes. Okay. Uh, again, here in the Central Valley, uh, as I stated earlier, the, the prevalence of diabetes, the prevalence of uh, undiagnosed and untreated uh, diabetic foot infections, uh, I think it's because of lack of education uh, from a patient uh, perspective and uh, not being able to get to see a physician uh, early. Uh, but that's not the only difficulty of being able to treat these disease early. I think the, uh, as a specialist that deal with specifically with peripheral arterial disease is sometimes frustrating because of the, p- the patient cause that has, could have actually gone to see their primary care physicians. And that physician, uh, if they're not knowledgeable about peripheral arterial disease, will not necessarily focus on that and will simply treat the ulcers and not refer that patient uh, to a specialist to be evaluated for peripheral arterial disease. So... You have patients that we know that are having trouble um, getting the care that they need for many reasons, you know, unknown. But you also touched on something that talked about um, maybe a physician not providing the referral. Is there, and you talked about some of the side effects, is there something at, at some point knowing these these risk factors of these, the diabetic, for example, should they be pushing their primary care doctor a little bit more on like, hey, I'm having these issues with my feet. Can I, you know, is there something more that we can do for testing or is there um, risk factors that they know at some point, hey, if I have this, I need, I need to go and make sure I see a vascular surgeon. Sure, absolutely. Okay. And uh, I, I think, uh, as I said earlier, I think the, uh, uh, in in fighting this disease, the peripheral arterial disease, it has to start with the patient. Uh, if they're knowledgeable about the peripheral arterial disease and uh, if they recognize that they may have some of the risk factors as well as some of the symptoms uh, of peripheral arterial disease, and, uh, then I think uh, they should go to their primary physician and, uh, and tell that physician, uh, I'm, I think, uh, could you evaluate and see if I indeed have peripheral arterial disease? I'm a diabetic, I have high blood pressure, have history of coronary artery disease and uh, I might be at risk for peripheral arterial disease. And uh, having uh, taken that history, hopefully uh, the primary care physician or uh, whatever the, the primary caretaker, uh, a health uh, provider at that point would be able to go on to uh, the next phase of evaluation. And there are uh, simply uh, ex- uh, examining the patient. The most important thing is taking the shoes off, 
taking the socks off the patient, looking at their the feet. feet. Yeah. Uh, that starts with that. It's a simple thing, yeah. but it gets missed over and over and over again. I think if all the physicians, our primary care physicians, uh, were to do that, uh, I think we would probably uh, have a dramatic effect on, on catching these ulcers or infections at a much earlier stage. So uh, examination is an important part. Uh, I think uh, there are other modalities, uh, such as an ultrasound uh, that's available. It's a very uh, inexpensive uh, non-invasive procedure uh, that could uh, be used to detect uh, lack of blood flow uh, in, in a patient. So absolutely there, uh, there are different things that, that can be done to, to diagnose and, and pick up the, uh, the, the evidence or, or signs of peripheral disease at a much earlier stage before before, before infection, it gets to, to infection, infection part, and, yeah. and, and gangrene. And you say something that, that's key too. You know, I have, you know, my parents are Fortunately, both of them are very healthy. But if you do have a parent or a spouse or you're a caregiver to something, you don't necessarily think to ask them, you know, how are your feet? Let's take a look at them. You know, let's make sure you don't have any sores on them. Because a lot of older patients have just really issues with walking. And so that could be written off as something is sure. just getting old or arthritis. But, but you mentioned earlier that you could have you know, these ulcers on the bottom of your feet that can then get infected. And that could be a sign of poor circulation or those the plaque buildup on those arteries because they're not getting enough blood flow. Sure, absolutely. And I think uh, one of the difficulties of uh, uh, treating the peripheral arterial disease and diagnosing the peripheral arterial disease is that uh, actually m- predominantly most patients with peripheral arterial disease will have no symptoms. Uh, and one of the earlier signs of peripheral arterial disease is... Uh, uh, what is known as claudication. I think we may have touched mm-hmm. upon that briefly before. Uh, there's pain when you walk, uh, cramps, and so forth. But that that symptom is is very ubiquitous. Right. right? Yeah. That could be a slip <laughs> that on my could leg be wrong. An arthritis <laughs> or whatnot. Right. So, right. Uh, but having said that, though, if you have those symptoms and you know uh, that your, your your parents or your friend uh, or any family members have other risk factors. You know, you could say, well, maybe it is not his knees, maybe it is not arthritis, mm-hmm. maybe it is not age, maybe indeed that is peripheral arterial disease, and just have the uh, uh, wherewithal to, to kind of recognize that they might be at risk for having peripheral arterial disease. But you're absolutely right. Uh, just the simple act of taking the shoes, taking the socks off, and taking a look at look at the feet, especially in patients with diabetics, uh, I think will make a tremendous a difference uh, in uh, uh, identifying these patients at a much earlier stage. And that's what the whole goal is. Yeah, Ident- Identify these patients at an early stage, get them to the appropriate uh, specialist to take care of mm-hmm. uh, the blockage, and then uh, the amputation rate, I'm sure, can be reduced here in, in Fresno. Yeah, and it's, it's a little disheartening that it's that high for this area when, you know, we do have, there is access to care. It's not, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes, but, you know, you can be getting this referral from your podiatrist, from your primary care doctor, you know, pretty much from any type of doctor if you're a diabetic, from your diabetes doctor, if your primary care is not managing sure. it. So you can, you can ask these question, questions if you are having problems with your feet to any doctor that you see and they can sure. refer you into to yourself. Absolutely. But, you know, as I said, it has to start with the patient. The patient, right. And, again, the, the ultimate goal is if you have peripheral arterial disease and especially if you have an ulcer. The ultimate goal is from that patient that has an ulcer to get to 
one of the specialists that treat the peripheral arterial disease so that they can be evaluated right away and uh, if intervention is required to proceed with the intervention. Now there's multiple uh, steps that usually gets in the way right. of that patient getting to the specialist. Mm -hmm. uh, anywhere from the patient not being educated enough to know that they may have a problem to seek medical attention. Mm -hmm. uh, second is that even if you seek medical attention, uh, perhaps some of the, 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 the general uh, uh, practitioners, internal medicine family, and not, I'm not saying that they're bad doctors, it's just that they're seeing patients, 20, 30 patients with right. cold, and, right. and the last thing they want to do is take off their socks and shoes right. and, and look it's, at a foot yeah. and, 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 and kind of go into that. So uh, I think part of the education process is not only educating the, the, the patients uh, and the lay people, but also educating the primary care physicians mm -hmm. uh, to let them know about the, the incidence and prevalence of peripheral arterial disease and how serious it can be. And if uh, we evaluate these patients at a much earlier stage, then again, we can have a direct impact on the, uh, the amputation rate here in, in Fresno. But again, it, it has to start with education, not only the patient, the primary care physicians. Uh, as you stated, there are specialists here, I think, in Fresno. Uh, there are, we have wound care centers, which I'm a part of. So th there are resources available here in, in the Fresno area. We mm -hmm. just have to utilize it. Uh, but it, it, is a, it is a complex and, and difficult uh, uh, task uh, to, to try and reduce the rate of amputation because just because there are so many factors that's involved uh, in, uh, in, the in its increased uh, rate. Just another thing that you have to worry about as you age. Yes. <laughs> but, but it's good information, and, you know, and I'd love for you to come back and do some continued medical education with some of our primary care sure. offices about, about it as I well. I think that. that that's important. And it's, it's been an eye-opener for me. I, I didn't even know what it was. So, so if, do you have anything else to add? If someone, you know, if they're wanting to make an appointment or get a referral from their primary care to you, what is, what's, where's your office located and what's the best way to, to get in contact? Yes, uh, my office is located at uh, 1191 East Turnden Avenue at suite number 102. The office telephone number is 559-702-1390. Uh, uh, I think if you uh, call the office, our, our staff will be more than happy to take your call and uh, get, take the uh, necessary information, uh, and uh, we'll be more than happy to see you. Well, great. Well, thank you. I appreciate the information. And, um, you know, like I said, if, if you have another topic, we'd love for you to come back okay. and share more. This was interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.